0: Tony here for Little Nation. Today, we'll talk baseball with Mark Feinsand, golf with Doug Ferguson, and underpants with Michael. But first, commerce.
1: Being around sports media and a fan of, oh, my NC State Wolfpack for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what-if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run of on the one-yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or... Could a coin flip have landed magic in Chicago, Michael in LA, and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former sports anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week of the podcast, Trey and Kevin will probably open the sliding doors of a different what-if moment for the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, new goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery
2: Plus.
3: Previously
0: on the Tony Kornheiser Show. Eddie Murray is one of eight guys with 500 home runs and 3,000 hits. Yeah. Cal Ripken is Cal Ripken. Yeah. He's the Iron Man. (laughs) He's the Iron Man. Well, you got to lop off one of those. My friend David said, get rid of Cal. You get rid of Cal. I didn't know what to say. (laughs) Get rid of Cal. You no, what you argue for is a fifth head. Yeah. The undiscovered <laughs> Mount Rushmore head.
1: This
4: is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show.
0: I've thought a lot about this. I mean, and I've gone back and forth with a number of people, you know, the ones you know about, David Israel and Will Bond, Chuck Todd, my friend David Crone, who was a for some strange reason, not having grown up in Baltimore, was a Baltimore Orioles fan and a Brooks Robinson fan and had the occasion to play golf with Brooks Robinson. Oh, wow. Met his idol, playing golf, loved him. Said he was the greatest guy of all time, which is a lovely, lovely story. And I've thought about this. And in sober reflection, in the early light of day, I actually think you have to lop off Frank Robinson, even though he was manager of the Orioles, because the other people's tenure with the Orioles is even longer than Frank's. And Frank is known for having been as well the MVP of the Cincinnati Reds. And he's one of the 10 greatest players of all time. Yes. But in terms of the Mount Rushmore of Baltimore, and again, and he was the manager. But Jim Palmer's been a broadcaster for 30 years. Brooks Robinson has lived there his whole life after coming from Little Rock, Arkansas. Bought a house. In fact, this is true. uh, Next to um, Caves Valley. And Cal... Was born and raised there. Yeah, in Aberdeen. Yeah, you know, I, so I mean, I—that's where I am now. As, as, as that, if I have to lop anybody off, it's Frank Robinson, and i, I feel terrible saying that.
5: Well, so you would put leave Eddie Murray on over
0: Frank? Was that the was that the one who'd get on there? I guess, yeah, because because he played not his entire career because he played with the Dodgers. Yeah, like, the I end. think he got, I think he got five hundred and three thousand in another uniform. So maybe I would lop off Eddie Murray. I don't know. But I, ca- I can't lap off Cal. No. Even no. though Cal is not the player, his records are not the same as these others. They're not. We can't lap off Cal. No. He's, He's Mr. – right, Michael? He's Mr. Baltimore. Sure. So that's, you know, that's where I am on that now. We also go back and forth. Like in Boston. In Boston. I, and I understand younger people are going to go crazy. People 40 and down are going to go crazy when I don't have Larry Bird or Poppy. Right, but I don't. Right. I got, you got Bill Russell. <laughs> I got Bobby Orr. I got Teddy Ballgame, and I got Tom Brady. It's tough, I don't know. I don't yeah. know where else you go. You cannot get rid of any of them. I know. you just can't. Yeah, it's New tough. York is hard too. New oh, York New York is, is
4: tough. So and this is hard. Where it might be city or regional specific, but you have to start to come up with a year where you decide a modern version and the classics. I mean, because eventually you're just going to keep stretching history. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, I, I know that that's true, but New York. I, Well, there's too many teams. It's just so many teams. Yeah, like even if you want to just do the Yankees, if you want to just do the Yankees, and you've got Ruth, you got Gehrig, you got DiMaggio, you got Mantle, you got Jeter. I went back and forth with David Krohn about this last night. He was he was lukewarm on DiMaggio, and I said, "Well, DiMaggio married Marilyn Monroe." (laughs) He said, "Yeah, but that was after his playing career," (laughs) which I thought was a good line from Krohn. And I said, well, how many, you know, how many World Series did uh, Jeter and Mantle win? Well, Jeter won five. Right. And Mantle won seven. I said, you might want to look up DiMaggio. He won nine. <laughs> David looked it up. He won nine. Nine. Nine World series. He never struck out. <laughs> he never struck out. He, there were years he had more home runs than strikeouts. Yeah. So I don't know how you take him off. I just.
5: And Jeter is the only Yankee with 3,000 hits. Isn't that correct? Yes. You can't leave know, him I off. I don't
0: know how you do it. You yeah. leave off Lou Gehrig? Really? <laughs> it's, it's, the greatest yeah. first baseman of all time? I don't know. How. <laughs> yeah. You're not leaving off Ruth. No. You're, okay, Ruth, Babe Ruth. He's, babe Ruth's a lot. Yeah, Speaking of the Yankees. Speaking of the Yankees. The Yankees beat uh, Toronto last night. We will get to all of this with Mark Feinstein in a little bit. But Garrett Cole threw a two-hit shutout. Like, he went nine. It was his second time this year going nine. And I know in the 50s and 60s. And even into the 70s, pitchers went nine all the time. They had 15, 20, 30 complete games in a year. They don't do that anymore. Gary Cole threw a two hit shutout against Toronto. He's 15 and four with a 2.63 ERA and 222 strikeouts in 209 innings. He's got to be a unanimous, unanimous Cy Young in the American League. Yeah. Aaron Judge hit two more home runs. Aaron Judge has 37 home runs. He has missed more than 50 games. This is the greatest offensive performance in terms of home runs of all time. He's missed more than 50 games. He has 37 home runs. He could finish with 40. He had three, four games left. Sure. He could get to 40. He's been hitting multiple home runs lately in games. And if you look at them in the standings, what letter do you see next to the team? E. Yeah. Oh, yes. yes. That's right. I understand, but eliminated. Okay, but you know you got to give credit to a couple of people. I'm not. I'm not saying for a second the judge should be MVP. But we'll ask Feinstein about that. Acuna got to 40 and 70 last night. Nobody ever got, if I'm not mistaken, to 40 and 50 or 40 and 60. Yeah, I think and you're Acuna right. just set it out there pretty far. This is like an 80 foot shot put. Where you turn around and go, okay, your turn, <laughs> 40 and 70, right, Michael? Yeah.
5: It's not Sergey Bubka, where I'm going to put it up a quarter inch. <laughs> it's really something. By the way, did you hear the Cubs broadcasters? Not again. Well, they were so upset that Acuna... They've w-
0: lost two terrible games in a not row. Excited. Well, I
5: guess Acuna, when he, when he stole the base... He picked it up. They stopped the game, and yeah. the Cubs broadcasters said, you've got to be kidding me.
0: You do this after the game. You can't do this now. And they were so furious about it. It's brilliant. I watched some of the Nats and the O's last night. Um, God bless Patrick Corbin. I had to take him out in the fourth, the or fourth or fifth. I thought it was the fourth. I'm not sure. You know, we're we're just a good mid
4: Atlantic sports network franchise. We're trying to help them get that last game across <laughs> to hold the East.
0: Just. <laughs> yep. His last two to three years are just miserable. But he doesn't he doesn't say, "Oi, my arm." Um. No, he takes, he takes the ball. The ball. Yeah, he time. takes the ball and goes out there and does the best he can. The best he can is largely not good enough anymore, but you have to admire him Mm -hmm. for saying, I'm going to earn this money. You paid me a lot of money to pitch. I'm out here to pitch. And one more thing, not a long open Damian Lillard, who wanted to go to Miami, ended up in an M team, but it's not Miami. It's Milwaukee, slightly different climate. Better team, I think. I know Milwaukee made the finals two of the last four years, but not Milwaukee, Miami made the finals two of the last four years. But Milwaukee won it a couple of years ago, and they got onto Kumpo. And they had to trade away Drew Holiday to get Damian Lillard. But what surprised me was they are very close in age. Drew Holiday's not in his 20s, I don't believe. Could you okay. look him up? Sure. I think he's like 32, and I think Lillard is 32 or 33. So it's not a bad that's not a bad trade. And Lillard will take over that position. And I think that makes Milwaukee uh, the favorite in the East, if not the favorite in the entire NBA. Until Lillard is a fine player, a clutch player. How D- old?
5: Damian Lillard just turned thirty three in July. And so how about Drew Holiday? Drew Holiday. holiday. Closer than you think. Uh, here we
0: go, Drew Hunter Day, uh, thirty-three in June. Okay, <laughs> Actually, so I mean, you're well, not wow. You know, you don't want to make this, the mistake of trading young for old, right? And they didn't do that, and that's that surprised me. So, may, well, may I give one piece for the Ryder Cup? Sure. Uh,
4: I know we're, we have uh, Doug, Doug Ferguson on, on a little bit later, but for for both teams, you have storylines that might be a little bit off the board. But for the Americans, uh, let's see if the impact of one very famous mental coach uh, makes an appearance. Uh, oh, Julie yeah. Elian, we saw her at the U.S. Open and what she was able to do with Wyndham Clark. She was also helping another American who's had some issues. Uh, in she used terms to help Phil Micah. And then uh, I think the, the biggest impact might be felt by Eduardo Molinari, one of the Molinari brothers, who won the USAM here in the States, but has been this uh, quiet sta- statistician and has been helping a lot of the European players. But to try and see, he was originally brought in by Stenson and Luke Donald uh, stayed with him. Kept him. him. But for all the balance back and forth of, do you start with foursomes, which is alternate shot for us, or four ball, which is best ball, traditionally something that the Americans are better with, how does that affect the lead that you're able to build going into singles and then all the data you're able to get from a golf course that some of the Europeans have seen a bit more than the Americans. How does that, how do you set that up for the back nine in particular in terms of what do the T's look like? What do the par fours look like a drivable par four or two? Uh, So again, these are not necessarily going to make the broadcast, but I think they could uh, be interesting to see if they have an impact on something that definitely comes down to uh, you know, an individual me versus you type of mentality.
0: Yeah, and we and we will have Doug Ferguson from the Associated Press on uh, later in the day from the site of the tournament, which is in near Rome. Near Rome, yes. I think it's near Rome. Enjoying some cacio pepe. What is that? A a Roman dish. Oh, I didn't know what that was. I don't eat as well as my son, (laughs) or cook as well. I'm not nearly as smart. We'll take a break. Mark (laughs) Feinstein. When we return, I'm Tony Kornheiser.
6: Selling a little or a lot.
2: Stay refreshed with Taste Salud, the ultimate hydration experience. Dive into the world of agua frescas, designed to elevate your day, boost your energy, stay hydrated, and unwind with Salud's on-the-go stick packets, each with just one gram of sugar. Exclusive for our listeners, enjoy a 10% discount on your first order with code TASTE10 at checkout. Visit tastesalud.com for the full selection. Taste the difference with Taste Salud. Cheers to health. This is The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony
3: Kornheiser Show.
0: This is Natalie Hamilton, who's really, really good. And she sent us her original music. And this is a song called Unconditionally. Um, the, her new album, which is Perfect Love, we'll play another song from it. We'll play actually Perfect Love later in the show. The album is available at our website, hamilton com and on all the streaming sites Did you like her voice <laughs> it's pretty good yes it's pretty good it's amazing wow she it's plays amazing. in mark Sand. and and the obvious question with three or four days to go in the whole thing and things still up for grabs and the cubs still finding ways to lose no matter how many runs they score early in a game who do you have in the wild cards what's your prediction mark
7: well, I think the Marlins are probably the team I look at in the National League. They have tiebreakers over the Cubs and the Reds, so that certainly gives them an advantage. I think their schedule is fortuitous. I mean, some people look at the the Cubs-Brewers series and say the Brewers don't really have been in the to play for, but if you think the Brewers don't want to keep the Cubs out of the playoffs, I'd be surprised if that was the case. Um, you know, the Marlins, I believe, go to Pittsburgh after finishing this series with the Mets, so that's... Uh, yeah. You know, probably a Pittsburgh team that. Yeah, I mean, everybody says about a spoiler, but I'm guessing that most of the guys on the Pirates have their flights ready for Sunday night somewhere, uh, and are ready to to be done with this season. So, uh, I would probably put the Marlins in the driver's seat right now, uh, based on the tiebreakers and the schedule.
0: Um, in the American League, well, right, let me. I'll stay in the National League. I thought the Giants were a pretty good team. How did they collapse like this and play their way out of it?
7: You know, I think they were playing a little bit above their their weight class to begin with, um, and I think when you're when you're in a race, and then all of a sudden, you know because the the division was pretty close for much of the year. yeah, uh, it seemed like it was going to be an interesting three team race, and Dodgers said, you know, not so much uh, we're 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 the class of this division, and they just sort of ran away with it. Um, you know I think the Giants are a good team, but I don't think that they're uh, any you know any more. Deserving or any more talented than, than the other teams that they're they're fighting against, and I just think they they kind of ran out of gas.
0: About a week, week and a half ago, I remember we did this on PTI. Texas had lost, I don't know, eight out of ten. Um, Houston was leading the AL West, the best race in in baseball, and Seattle since the All Star Game was you know seventy three and two. And now Texas is in. Houston semi-collapsed, Seattle collapsing, right?
7: Yeah, and what a, what a fascinating division that's been all year long. Early on, Texas, you know, jumped out to a lead, and, uh, and then, of course, at the deadline, they go out and get Scherzer and yeah. Montgomery, and you're like, wow, they're really, you know, they're making a run here. Uh, I think, you know, I'm not one who credits managers a lot uh, because I think the players ultimately decide what happens on the field, and, uh, you know, when a team's going... Badly, I'm not quick to say, oh, they need to fire the manager. And when the team's going well, I'm not quick to really credit a manager. But I think the impact that Bruce Bochy's had in Texas is is pretty clear, uh, just in terms of having been there before. It reminds me of that that late career Joe Torre, where uh, no matter what's going on, he's sort of that calming influence in the clubhouse. And through the ups and downs that the Rangers have had, you just know that Bochy's been in there uh, saying, fellas, I've been through these wars before. We're okay. And, and when you have a guy who's been through those, and who's won three World Series and going to the Hall of Fame someday, players are probably more apt to believe that things are okay and that things are going to uh, settle down and, and calm down and that they can get back where they need to be. Because uh, if you think about the fact that they've gotten, what, five starts from Jacob deGrom this year – Scherzer was their huge acquisition. He's done for the year, mm-hmm. and they're still going out there and doing what they're doing. I just think the bogey effect has to have some major impact on what's going
0: on in Texas. So, who do you like in the American League? Because it's going to—I guess it—it's three teams now, right? It's Toronto and and Houston and Seattle. Yes, for the last one. Yeah,
7: I, I would. I mean, I would say probably Toronto and Houston um, for the fact that Seattle has to go play Texas and that Texas still does have something to play for here. They haven't wrapped it up just yet. Uh, you know, maybe Sunday, they, if, they've, if they've clinched the division, maybe they uh, take their foot off the gas a little bit. But, um, you know, Houston's got Arizona, another team that, that's right in the thick of things. There are some fascinating matchups this weekend. Um, you know, Toronto plays Tampa. So yeah. none of these teams have an easy road here this week. Uh, but I guess just based on the standings and the fact that none of them do have an easy road, I'd probably lean towards
0: Toronto and Houston. So, like, as you look back on the season, and I think this is a fair question, I wrote down three teams that seemed to me to be big surprises, but maybe I'm wrong. I think the Cubs are a big surprise to be in contention. I think the Diamondbacks are a big surprise. And I think the Orioles, the way they have played, are a big surprise. Do you agree with that? And is there one of those three or another team that is the biggest surprise to you?
7: I think the Orioles are the biggest surprise to me. Not that they're competitive, because they won 83 games last year, and they were certainly headed in the right direction. Um, <clears throat> but you know, free agency is one of the things that I that I cover the most. And last winter, I remember talking to Michael Elias, the Orioles GM, uh, at the general managers' meetings, and I said, "Well, this must be fun for you, because you know you, you're actually sort of looking to build upon a team that had a winning record and." it seems like you guys have a little money to spend. And he said, yeah, it's fun actually talking to agents about free agents. And, uh, you know, we do have some money to spend. And yet you know, they went out there and didn't really spend that much money. And I kept waiting for them to make that big starting pitching acquisition, um, you know, because we know about the, the wealth of young position talent that they have, but we weren't sure about the rotation. And to me, the guy that I was sort of pushing all winter of, this is the guy who's the perfect fit for them was Nathan Evaldi, who went and did a really good job mm-hmm. in Texas. He yeah. won a World Series with the Red Sox. And he, to me, it wasn't going to cost Jacob DeGrom money. Well, they went out and signed Kyle Gibson, and that was it. And Gibson's had a nice year. Uh, you know, he's had 15 wins, he had four and change GRA, but he wasn't that impact starter. And I came into the season saying, man, I wish the Orioles had done more this winter because I really thought they had a chance to do something special. Well, to show what I know,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, they
7: went out and, and they're, you know, fighting for the, the best record in the league in there. Uh, they're certainly a team that has a lot of confidence going into this thing uh, in October. And when you look at some of these young players, I mean, Gunnar Henderson should be the rookie of the year. Adley rushman has been fantastic. Um, and they've got more guys coming. I mean, I don't know if you've ever watched any highlights or seen any of this Jackson holiday. Um, he's going to be the starting shortstop next year, I think. And he's 19 years old. Uh, He just raced through every level of the minor leagues there was. He was the number one pick in the draft last year, uh, and he's living up to the billing uh, in a big way. So I think it's a surprise that the Orioles are as good as they are. I thought they'd be good. I thought they'd be fighting for a wild-card spot, uh, not running away with the American League.
0: Speaking of the Orioles, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about Brooks Robinson. I don't know if you're old enough to have ever watched him play, but tape exists, and he's the greatest fielding third baseman of all time, and his entire life was spent after leaving Little Rock, Arkansas, in Baltimore. What are your thoughts on him?
7: Yeah, I'm not old enough to have seen him play. I did cover the Yankees for 16 years and spent a lot of time at Camden Yards, uh, and I've seen a lot of highlights, and I've talked to a lot of people who will tell me, you can take your Mike Schmidt, you can take your Nolan Arenado. Uh, Bruce Robinson is the greatest third baseman of all time, and it's not even a a, a contest. Uh, And so, you know, it's always been Fun to talk to people who saw him play, uh, and, and sort of hear some stories about it. But uh, you know, I heard your Mount Rushmore conversation the other day. That's that's about as tough of a yeah uh, a conversation about who to take off that Mount Rushmore. Who would you take um, off?
0: Who would you take and, off? You
7: know, I, I'm I probably lean towards you of just carving out a fifth head because I'm not <laughs> sure there is a I'm not sure there is one of them that you can fairly take off. I mean. Uh, I had one interaction with Eddie Murray in my life. I will back up Chuck Todd's assertion that he was a grump, yep. uh, and that if you want to take him off for his personality, uh, okay. But you know, the guy's five hundred home runs and three thousand hits, and uh, it's hard to really uh, poo poo anything he did. Palmer's the greatest pitcher in their in their team's history. Ripken's on there. He, he's not to me. Ripken's not a guy you can even discuss taking off of that Mount Rushmore. So I don't know. I think I think the fifth head might be the way to go.
0: Let me move on to, I I said this uh, early in the show, I know the Yankees stink in terms of what everybody expects, but Garrett Cole went out last night and he nailed down the Cy Young, I mean, probably had nailed it down before, right? I mean, a two-hit shutout against a team fighting for a wild card, yes?
7: Yeah, he's been outstanding, and that's actually the award that I have a vote on this year, um, and, you know, watching watching Cole pitch, especially the way he's pitched down the stretch, um, you know, trying to keep the Yankees in a race that they really were never in uh, since the middle of the summer, uh, you know, it, it starts to look of, okay, well, who's getting the second-place vote? Because uh, Cole's been absolutely outstanding. And, you know, it, it's a shame that the Yankees wasted that season. Uh, yeah. Because when you think about giving him $326 million, uh, you know, four years ago, and, and the impact that he was supposed to have—he had that impact this year. The rest of the team just couldn't keep up. Uh, he's been just been absolutely phenomenal, and I think uh, you know he will probably be receiving that award when uh, when they're announced in the middle of November.
0: Who gets it in the National League? The Atlanta guy, Strider. Does he get it?
7: I don't think so. His yeah, is not even close to to three. I think I think it's in the mid threes or maybe okay. even high threes. Uh, Blake Snell to okay. me, is the favorite there. I mean, he started out 1-6 with like a 6.5 ERA, and this was his walk year. And everybody said, wow, he's costing himself a lot of money. Well, since then, I think he has a 1.2 ERA uh, over 26 starts. So uh, he's been nothing short of spectacular. Uh, again, a wasted season because yep. the Padres couldn't do anything with it. Uh, it's actually pretty interesting that maybe two of the three biggest flops of the year, the, the Yankees and the Padres, to go along with the Mets, are going to walk away with Cy young winners in all likelihood. So, um, you know, you can't you can't blame those guys. But uh, I think Snell Snell probably wins it. I think uh, Justin Steele on the Cubs is having a really nice year. He should be a top three guy. Uh, Kodai Senga, rookie uh, from Japan on the Mets, having a really good year as well. Uh, Strider is going to be up there just based on all of his his other numbers. So interesting race. But I think ultimately, when you, when you pitch to a 1.2 ERA over four and a half months. Um, and you, and you lead the league in the R.A. by nearly a run, it's hard, hard for me not to see that guy getting Cy young.
0: There are four candidates for MVP in the National League from two teams. There's Freeman and uh, Mookie Betts from the Dodgers. There's Acuna and Olsen from the Braves. I assume that since the Braves have the better record, it'll come from the Braves, and I assume since Acuna did 40-70, which has never been done, it's going to be him. Do you agree, or do you go a different way?
7: I agree that he's going to win. If I had that vote, I would give really serious consideration to to Betts. If you look at their numbers, their, other than the stolen bases, they are right there, one, two, in almost every category in the National League. Um, you know, for those who believe in war as something that means something, Betts' is war is actually higher than Acuna's. Uh, I think when you look at the value that Betts brings, uh, he – plays a gold glove outfield. He went and played second base. He went and played shortstop. He did anything that team needed him to do whenever they needed him to do it. Um, the stolen bases to me are, I mean, look, 40 is silly, right? I mean, that's, like you said, something we've never seen done before. Yeah. Steals were inflated this year. Uh, you know, the the bigger bases, the shorter distance between bases, the, the limited pickoff attempts, the pitch clock, all of that led – as MLB was hoping it would to steals, to, to steals. Yeah. and Acuna took great advantage of that. And, um, you know, stolen bases, if, if Acuna does in fact win this thing, uh, his batting average is a lot higher. Their OPSs are right next to each other. Uh, the home runs are right next to each other the, the, the RBI is the runs scored. Acuna has got a few more. Um, but if, if Acuna wins this thing, the 70 steals is probably what's going to stand out. Uh, which is interesting given the rule changes this year. But I don't think there's a wrong answer in Betts versus Acuna. If Acuna wins, I'm not going to sit here outraged saying, yeah. I can't believe you beat Mookie Betts. But Mookie Betts might put up one of the best seasons we've seen in recent history for a guy not to win the MVP award.
0: Yeah, he's been, he's been absolutely great. And I assume o- Otani's going to win this. Um, but I said earlier in the show... Aaron Judge could finish with 40 home runs, and he will have missed over 50 games of the year. It's sort of remarkable.
7: It's, it's ridiculous. This guy is, is, like, from another planet, and we looked at what he did last year, said, how can he follow that up? And what he did was he played four months, and he's going to have almost 40 home runs if he doesn't get there. Um, I think he's going to finish. I don't know if he's going to finish top five, but he might, uh, just given that, you know, when he was healthy, the first two-plus months of the season, the Yankees were were 10 games over five hundred and looking really good. He got hurt. They went into the tank because nobody else could pick up the slack for him. And if you notice, since he's come back, the Yankees have played pretty well. Uh, They actually have, I think, one of the two or three best records in the majors since he came back. Um, And, you know, they're all of a sudden all of this angst and talk about oh, their 30-year streak of having a winning record is, is out the window. They're going to finish with a losing record for the first time since the early 90s. Guess what? They wrapped up at least the 81-win season. They will not have a losing record. And if they win one more game this year, they'll have a winning record. Their record with Judge is is uh, far better than it without him. And I think when you look at the impact he has on that team, I'm not saying he should win the MVP award. I'm not saying I didn't put him in the top five, given that he missed 50 games. Because one of the few criteria that you get in the MVP, uh, on your MVP ballot, is number of games played, like the amount of time they were on the field. And so obviously he misses that. So does Otani, so does Corey Seeger. There's nobody in the American League who has 155 games who has MVP-type numbers. Otani's going to win. Yeah. It makes me think about 15 years ago or so, Josh Hamilton won the American League MVP despite not playing in September. Uh, so there's precedent there for that. What Otani did was... was unicornish and and he should win the mvp um especially since seager also missed 30 or 40 games
0: pleasure to talk with you that's i love i love to hear this stuff i still love baseball thank you mark thanks tony mark feinsand boys and girls we will take a break when we come back doug ferguson will join us from way across the pond in italy and talk about the Ryder cup i am tony kornheiser
2: And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Drowning in status updates and lost in endless emails? Break free with ClickUp.com,
6: the one app to replace them all. Imagine a world where your team collaborates effortlessly in one shared space. No more chaos, just ClickUp. Your projects, tasks, and communication unified at last. Transform how you work with customizable views, seamless integration, and real time updates. ClickUp is your shortcut to more productive days and happier teams. Join the millions of productive teams already streamlining their workflow. Visit clickup.com to get started.
0: You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is Natalie Hamilton. This is a song called Perfect Love, which is also the name of her new EP. Perfect love. Uh, her music is available at www.natleyhamilton.com and on all streaming sites. She's really good. Yeah, she is. Michael, if people like Natalie Hamilton want to send in their original music, how do they do so? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at com. And she plays in Doug Ferguson, who is in Italy for the Ryder Cup, which I mistakenly thought began today because in my mind, golf starts Thursday and ends Sunday. And my son said, You're an idiot. <laughs> It's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I am an idiot. And I get the early questions are, you're in Italy. How close to Rome is this course?
8: Uh, I don't know. I just kind of discovered last night, because it took us about 25 minutes to get from the media hotel into the city center. It's taken us 25 minutes to get to the hotel, but I have no idea. what directions were going <laughs> either time i am in italy i can tell by the people i listen to <laughs> and by the organizational chaos that's all i can tell you
0: that's fine uh is this a course any of us would know what is the name of it and is anything played on it that that we would be familiar with if we watched golf channel
8: if you watch the italian open the last couple of years you'd be all over this tony it's marco simoni and uh No, it it really hasn't. My question is, who plays here? I mean, outside of the Italian Open and the Ryder Cup, i got to think most of the uh, traffic this course gets is from from, uh, tourists and travelers, because I don't think a lot of Italians play golf anyway. So that actually fascinates me. Once the circus leaves town this week, how much action is this course going to get? I don't know.
0: The one thing that stuck with me, you know, everybody in America, and we'll talk about this, was talking about whether Justin Thomas would make the team but when the euro team was announced they left out a fellow named moronk i think it's art moronk m-e-r-o-n-k who had not only won multiple times this year but had won on this course what why was he not picked
8: i'm i am not sure uh he he like picked every box because he's won twice in the last year He, he won here at marco simone um you know, it would have bring a really cool element to have the first Polish player to, to ever play in the Ryder Cup, and, and and Adrian, who I wrote about a couple of years ago, that's kind of his his moniker. Anytime you write about him, you say the first Polish player. That's how every sentence right. starts. Right. He was he was as gutted as really anyone I've I've seen left off a team. Nikolai Hoygaard from Denmark is an exciting young player. I don't think he's got the CV as as, as quite yet. But I think part of Europe is just gearing toward the future. They're in a bit of a transition year from, from the old guard, having moved on more by age than by live, by the way. Uh, you know, Polter West, those guys like that. Um, and, and Moronk didn't really show himself on a, on a world stage in terms of the majors. And I, I think it was a gut feeling by Luke and, and looking at guys that are going to be part of the Ryder Cup for Europe for, for years to come. That's my best guess.
0: Okay. Because, you know, you look at his record within the last year and you go, ah, oh, he should be a lock. All right, we move on. We'll get to our controversy. Sam Burns, Justin Thomas over Keegan Bradley and Lucas Glover. How did, how did that happen, and do you think it's just?
8: I think, I think the point is being missed here. And, I'm, listen, I'm just giving you my opinion, uh, yeah. which I believe in, by the way. I have no idea what the fuss is about Justin Thomas. He was on the team from the get-go and should be if Justin Thomas was European and his name was Sergio Garcia, you would take him. Justin is, is really a a proven star and and the potential to be our Poulter, to be our Lanny Watkins, just by, by the passion he has for the Ryder Cup and the way he plays in here. The controversy to me is Ricky Fowler. Hmm. Ricky Fowler is one, you know, he's been in a bit of a slump and we all love Ricky because he is genuinely one of the nicest people you'll ever meet in your life. But his one tournament he finally won was, was a, a weak field in Detroit. His Ryder Cup record is is nothing to, to, to write home about. I mean, it's I think off the top of my head, it's it's one six and five on the road. Whoa! It took Ricky three Ryder Cups before he, he won his first match. If you're being fair, he hasn't contributed really anything to a Ryder Cup. Justin Thomas is six two and one. He's a natural partner with Spieth. His record's even is just as strong in the Presidents Cup and the Euros hate him. Uh, the week of the Ryder Cup, everyone likes JT. But if there's one guy on, on the U.S. team that gets under the European skin because of his emotion and his passion and everything else, it's Justin. So he's a no-brainer. Burns is interesting. Uh, he doesn't really excite me. He's, look, they're all good players. Uh, his, his reputation is as a good putter. But a question to be asked to Burns is, would you be on this team if you weren't best friends with Scotty Scheffler?
0: Right, right.
8: Uh, that's a fair question, which, which they won't answer, by the way. Keegan is an excellent one. I mean, you talk about passion in the Ryder Cup, but it, it you know, as Paul Azinger likes to say, if it's in their blood, um, and, and Zinger would say the problem with the Americans is that the Ryder Cup's in their head, but it's not in their blood. Europe, it's in their blood. And Keegan, you can make a case that it, it, it courses through them. I mean, Keegan, I don't know if you know the story, Tony, but when he came home from uh, from losing in, in Medina and that, that bag, uh, his Ryder Cup bag, has still been unpacked from then, and he and he doesn't want to doesn't want to open it until until they win one. Well, he's hasn't been on a team, so that that's just how much it means to him. He's won twice. He's won against really good fields. Um, he should be here. Frankly, Lucas Glover also got my attention. It's hard to bring a guy who's in his early 40s, who's never played in the Ryder Cup, who's overcoming the yips, to put him on the stage. I get it, but man, Lucas pretty pretty well showed himself toward the end, and and he's good. It's um, just a good Southern boy that just mixes well.
0: So, le- all right, let me let me change to the other side, because um, we've, we talked about Moronk and you mentioned before guys like Poulter and Westwood, not on the team because of live or maybe because of age as well. Where did they get where did they get their next group of leaders from? They're all pretty young, right? I assume Rory McElroy is the leader. Where do they get captains from? What happens down the road for them?
8: Yeah, you really hit the nail on the head because it's, it's not about inside the ropes in terms of, of Europe's future. Um, they are, the, one of the reasons they're so good in the Ryder Cup is, as like I said, it's just part of their heritage. And when they're in the team room and, you know, when they're doing stuff off the course, they have all these guys like Sam Torrance, um, you know, Ian Woosnam and yeah. Monty and Harrington and the big long list of guys who have been there, you know, been through the fire, stories that are being told, inspiration, all that stuff. That's what they're losing. They don't have GMAC in the room with them this week, who's a, who's a big one, Graham McDowell. Um, Westwood and Sergio and Poulter, a little bit maybe a, a Paul Casey. And, you know, it, it, it's a question of whether when this whole thing with, with Liv and the Saudis, if it ever gets worked out, is there a way for these guys to come back, or do you need to, need to just start over again? So right now it's, it's Rory, and I'm having a hard time thinking of who the next guy is. It's Rom, but, you know, he's only 27 years old. This is his third Ryder Cup. He's got a ways to go, and he's going to be on the next however many teams. Uh, but those are those are your two guys, and you just you know you just you just wait to see who emerges in terms of leadership. Players, you know, they'll be fine. they will be guys that we've never heard of two years from now who will be good players. You know, Ludwig Orberry, which is known as Aberg in the United States. By mm-hmm. the way, we're having a problem with the pronunciation. Uh, the kid from Sweden is a uh, you know he looks like the real deal. And, you know, who knows if there's not a, another guy like him right now that, that we'll find out about in two years. But it's the leadership that, that, that you know, you have to worry about a little bit.
0: Um, let me get to a strategy question. My son was telling me that, that through the analytics of golf, the Euros discovered that the Americans from 125 yards and in, wedge play, are really better than the Euros. So you might want to design a course where those shots aren't as common as the Americans would like them to be. Is there anything done to this course that indicates to you there's a strategy to how it's set up?
8: There's a couple of holes that, that have, you know, pinch points. Um, you know, some of them are, are drivable. Um, there's water, and it's a, it's a big, you know, it's a big risk to, to take on driver. Uh, but mostly the story about this course is just the thickness and denseness. Of the rough, and that's exactly what Europe did in in France five years ago. Um, they had a they had a really you know tight driving course, mm-hmm. thick rough. Americans brought power, and Americans spent most of the day hacking out if they could even find their ball. Europe goes on to win handily, and that's kind of the thinking here. I'm not sure how much that goes into it. I mean, these are actual data and statistics and whatnot, but you know, Europe can can hit it sideways every now and then too, and every now and then the Americans can actually hit it straight. They'll also typically slow the greens down. I think Americans are, are far better on, on faster greens. That's kind of been the template over the last 10, 15 years, and that's how it's going to play out now. And and frankly, I mean, I won't say they're all Americans, but so many of these guys are, are PGA Tour players. that yeah. they, You know, they have kind of the same style of game with a few exceptions here and there.
0: That's exactly what I was thinking, that if you, t- you describe a course with a- – narrow fairways and large rough that Rory McIlroy has become an American player. And most of the time, he's just killing it as far as he can and then taking his chances with where it lands, right? That's what he does.
8: Yeah. And I think, you know, Rory said something to me a couple of weeks ago at, the, at the, the tour championship that I thought was pretty fascinating when he dis- distinguished between the two setups. He says in America, you know, it's, it's usually wide and it's big, but, but it's mostly about making birdies. And in, and in Europe, it's, it's, it's about not making mistakes. It's, it's more of a grinding-type style uh, for a European course, where at places like Medina, places like Hazeltine, you know, Whistling Straits. It's all about just, you know, guns blazing, make birdie.
0: Um, it's well known that we don't travel well. We don't win this thing on far and Like sort. a
8: bag of hot prawns on a Sunday, what Stuart <laughs> once said about the Americans.
0: Uh, who do you like? <laughs>
8: You know, I'd probably say the the Americans, just because I think the Americans are going to win every time I come to Europe, and they don't. And this 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 week, I've always had a good feeling about about Europe. And and I guess what I'm saying, Tony, is I always get it wrong, so yeah. I'm going with my opposite gut instinct. I I think and I hope it'll be close. And and you know, Rory made another point to me a couple weeks ago that even though they've been they've been close in terms of the series, you know, they're, they're trading off home wins. He said, all oh, the home wins have been rather convincing. The last time we had a really, really tight Ryder Cup was 2010 in Wales when it came down to the last match on the course. So regardless of, of what I think, which really doesn't matter, I think what we all hope is that, it, yeah. is that we at least get some drama on Sunday because it's, it's very rare, and, um, and there's nothing better than to, than to see you know, what kind of hero emerges and, and, and who can handle the pressure and, and who can't.
0: No, that's You want the Solheim Cup ending. You want something that goes all the way down to the end. Sure. I mean, I think that's what what people want. Look, you, you did say before that you knew you were in Italy because of the sounds of the language all the time. Is there one special food you at least think you're going to be able to get in Italy that you want?
8: I've been wanting to say, and people take it the wrong way every day in the media center, I feel like saying, geez, Italian food again? <laughs> <laughs> it's, been, it's been fantastic this week. France was a disaster, by the way, which makes no sense. But, but right. you know, the European tour, which is based in London, uh, which, which you know, London should never be in charge of any type of cooking. but Not you know, a food they city. Brought their, they brought, like, their whole state, they, you know, their whole people with them to France. And that's what we ate all
1: week.
8: Yeah. We had fish and chips, but it was awful. It has not been, yeah. not been a disappointment.
0: That's good to know. Enjoy yourself. Thanks so much for being on. Thank you, Doug. Thanks, Tony. Doug Ferguson, boys and girls, we will take a break. We'll have email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser.
4: So I'm a father of what? I got to find a babysitter.
6: You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show.
4: Here comes Tony's mailbag. Got your emails, faxes, and some notes. Here comes Tony's mailbag. Gonna read some for all of
0: you folks. That is with lyrics what the one that just plays music and makes uh, you feel all well. Oh, wet. the Jeremy Vent? Yeah, yes. makes yeah, you feel all well. This is the one with lyrics that makes you feel well. Yes. This is lovely. These are our friends Joe Arrow and John Nicewinger. Just lovely. Want to the Bethesda Bagels
5: here Hot bagels today. Yeah. Always excited when we get that. Uh, Bethesda Bagels, uh, you'll love them. That's because they never see
0: us on a Thursday. <laughs> right.
3: They hide the hot bagels from us. On oh, the what's your Thursday show? <laughs>
5: yeah,
0: what's your Thursday bagel going
5: to be? <laughs> just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the
0: D.C. area nearest you. Then pop one in, and you will be thrilled. That's it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say I knew a man Bojangles, and he danced for you in worn-out shoes. Silver hair, ragged shirt, and baggy pants, the old soft shoe. He jumps so high, jumps so high, then he'd lightly touch down. That's about Bill Bojangles Robinson. That was written by a Binghamton native, or maybe an Endicott native, Jerry Jeff Walker. It was recorded and was a hit for somebody else. Yes, but this... The Jerry Jeff Walker version... That's the version. ...is ten times as good. Yes. It's just a beautiful song. Thanks to our guests today, Doug Ferguson, Mark Feinsand... Thanks as well to today's sponsors. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. I need to say this so that people understand it. I'm dealing with, as I get older and older, as most people do, three things happen. One is that you shrink, and I'm now about 5'9". I just love that you finally accepted it. Yeah, I'm about (laughs) 5'9". One is,
1: I I mean, I used to wear
0: 34-inch inseams. Now it's 30, so I'm 5'9". One is that you lose your sight, and one is that you lose your hearing. I panicked the other day when I sat down to do the show. I was only getting sound in one ear, and then we realized one of the mics is one of the ear buds is out. (laughs) So okay, so I haven't.
4: You've started giving us that innocent smile where I can tell you haven't heard what I just said.
0: Because I don't hear. Yes. I don't hear anymore. No, my hearing is terrible. I need hear- hearing aids. I've taken the tests. I need hearing aids. I just, you know, I haven't gotten them. It's not out of vanity. I just haven't gotten them. Yeah. Just it's a process that takes well, a long time. When you
4: work, you, you have
0: an earbud in your ear. In so my ears. You, you So can, You have work right Yeah, grabs. so I'm yeah. okay. Yeah. Holy signal. From uh, <laughs> Brett Lampy in the <laughs> Bay I. Area where did it's did foggy I. and cool what? in the mornings and sunny and 75 in the mm. afternoon. Tell Michael, I completely agree with you on your affinity for orange Gatorade, but perhaps you could get a known sponsor to Stinky Show Liquid IV to send you a box of that. Tangerine-flavored Liquid IV is, for my money, the best flavor mm. of Liquid IV that exists. It's available at Costco, but you see, you don't seem to me like a Costco guy in any way, shape, or form. Tell Michael to mail their CEO and CC you. I'm sure they will respond to you. you request I was loading up
4: on the Tangerine before my, uh, my
0: sickness uh, IL visit. Okay. All right. Oh, by the way, in terms of emailing CEOs, if anybody out there knows the name of the person who runs Pepco in the Washington, D.C. area, man or woman, I don't know. I, I have an issue, as Uncle Rob would say, I have an issue. It's not yet a problem, but I have an issue, and I'd like to talk to somebody pretty high up at Pepco. So, Jimmy Pepco, maybe? Just, yeah, Jimmy or Johnny Pepco. <laughs> yeah, if you got that, if uh, the sons of Peter Pepco. So if you have it, send it to me. <laughs> From Matthew Quigley in Galway, New Jersey, where they have a beautiful golf course that you've played on a number of times. Galway. Imagine my surprise as I'm listening to your podcast and out of nowhere I hear you talking about Harbor Pines Country Club. At first, I did not pay it any attention, but after a second or two, I realized, hey, I know that place. It's 15 minutes from my house. I had my wedding reception there. Does this count as a David Aldridge moment? Now that I know you have family ties to the area, I'm leaving you an open invitation to play around at Seaview Marriott Golf Club, home of the ShopRite LPGA Classic, which, I add parenthetically, I have played, in my hometown of Galloway, just a short drive up the Garden State Parkway from Harbor Pines. I've played it a, a number of times. Your conversate's one of two courses. Right There's two courses on that property, one across the road, more towards the water, and one on the other side of the road, more towards land. Your conversation about Gregory's and Summer's Point brings me to my next point. Next time you're in town, if you're looking for a good sandwich, tell your family to take you to Pete's Sub's. Right down the road for Harbor Pints. In my opinion, the best subs are hoagies for you out-of-towners in the area. I assure you they're better than the Taco Tuesday Tacos from Gregory's in Summer's Point. That place is a joke. <laughs> if you need a good taco, on the other hand, hit up Tacos El Tio in Egg Harbor. I know Egg Harbor for a truly genuine Mexican experience, one you won't get at Gregory's, I assure you. If you do like it there, can you please not mention it on The PTI? I ask because the last time you did a shout-out for a restaurant in our area was for a restaurant called Cafe 2825 in Atlantic City. A great restaurant. Really? Great Mm -hmm. restaurant. worried about what comes next. A place I frequent on occasion with a wife, no problem. It now has a one- to two-month wait for a table. (laughs) And science tells me it's because of your PTI shout-outs. If you could, uh, help us keep it on the DL. That's the down low, I guess, as the kids say. Hope South Jersey treats you well. P.S., with my reckon, restaurant recommendations, can I be considered for the position of South Jersey restaurant consultant? Yes, yeah. I mean, we're putting this on the side. We put this away because this is Still haunted
4: by a lost ball number 13 at Galloway.
0: Yeah, I remember. You, th- you thought the Yale people stole it. Well, you probably thought the Yale people stole you it. You told me you <laughs> thought, thought the Yale people stole it. Always got to keep Yale your eyes out on the
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, From Marco
0: Frank in Radlett, England. Tell Thomas in Denver that if he wants to drive from Hyde Park to the Tottenham Hotspur game on the 8th of October, he should set off now. The best way to get there is not by car, but by Tube, the underground, to Seven Sisters, then a bus to the stadium. Sure. Information from Live. From Brandon Borzell. Great station name. When you tried viewing your New York Times article, did you try screaming representative into the phone? (laughs) Maybe you should try Evelyn at CBS, (laughs) CVS. From Ashton Wingate in Brooklyn, New York. Chuck and Roxy, episode two. How many episodes do they have? Endless. 209? Yes. Are they on every day? <laughs> on Monday's show, this was a couple of Mondays ago, you continued your days, no months, probably years, long rant about the lack of human interaction when trying to get customer service from Cigna, Pepco, and other five-letter corporations. Your frustration was apparent, as you remarked. The America I grew up is, in is gone. It's been replaced by a nameless, uh, faceless things you have to do on a computer. You later corrected yourself to say you meant faceless, but it got me thinking, oh, I must have said fameless. I wouldn't have said fameless. Maybe I
5: didn't. No, I think you stumbled and said famous, but then correct yourself. What if there were
0: customer service representatives that were famous? Then it would help bewildered customers like yourself understand better why they couldn't get Diane Keaton or one of the remaining members of the Rascals on the phone. After all, Greg Garcia is a very busy man and can't always be there to process the medical claims related to your deep leg thrombosis or whatever ailment you've got. If you're feeling particularly charitable, maybe you can volunteer your time on the Cigna hotline. I'm sure that your patience and positive attitude will provide satisfaction and reassurance to callers, weary of long hold times and automated prompts. Be the change you want to see in the world, Tony. If your poor page letter to Cigna is still in draft form, feel free to throw the suggestion of celebrity customer service agents in there and see what they say. Thanks for the laughs, as always. It's a brilliant email. I have to say, it's, just a, it's a brilliant email. Um, from Brad... Sible S or Sibilli, Sibille S I B I L L E, in Lafayette, Louisiana, isn't that the home of Ron Guidry? Lafayette, Louisiana. Oh, I think you're right. Yes, I will oh, check. I believe that. it is. Did I just hear Jason Lock and Fora do the perfect Louis Black impression while talking about the Bears? <laughs> Hilarious. From Carla Corrado. Love Carla Corrado, Columbus, Ohio. I cannot tell for sure, but it sounds like Jason Lockenfora is not fond of the Chicago Bears' own coaching staff. <laughs> From Susie Kemp in Idaho I live in the mountain time zone I'm not nobody I know many littles in the mountain time zone please don't discount us my sincere apologies for that I was probably looking for a laugh line Uh, from John Berg in Meridian, Idaho I appreciated your reference last week to the mountain time zone you said quote the mountain time zone doesn't matter all that is in the mountain time zone is sheep I said that sorry having lived in the mountain time zone my entire life I can partially validate your comment we often refer to the mountain time zone as the twilight zone. No commercials or promos ever refer to the mountain time zone as to when a program or game is going to start. When a kickoff or start timer is mentioned, we're left to scramble to that internet thing to hunt for the time or kick off our mittens and shoes to do the math and convert from Eastern or Pacific to mountain. However, in the old days, when the Monday night football game started at nine Eastern time, it was seven mountain standard time. Which meant that the game started after dinner and was over by 10 p.m., which only required a slight amount of lobbying to the parents to stay up and watch the game. The end. The time conversion also meant that I was able to stay up and watch Carlton Fisk's game winner as a young boy. What a great advantage! Regarding the sheep, most of those are in Montana. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Rod
5: Gidry, you had that.
0: Yeah, Bill Pitcher, our organist friend from Quarryville. We love Bill, Pennsylvania, who writes top 50 on Chuck and Roxy. You think you get a lot of charity letters? My mother-in-law was incredibly generous and would generally write a check for five bucks to any organization that sent her one of the so-called gifts. Of course, word spreads. When she died last year, we found a storage tote full of little notepads, hundreds, maybe a thousand, bearing logos from the American Heart Association, St. Jude's, a Native American something or other, which I get, but mostly groups you'd never know existed. Not useful nose pads either, the kind you'd find on the nightstand at a red roof inn. (laughs) Don't give these people your money, Mr. Tony. They're just looking for a place to recycle all their paper. It's Just tremendous, isn't it? Great shot. Do one more. From Brian in Scotia, New York, which is next to Schenectady, he writes. Short time, first time, little here, but I wanted to follow up on last Wednesday's show open regarding socks and pens being sent to you by nonprofit organizations. As a mail carrier, I wanted to give a tip to listeners who may be frustrated when they receive such unwanted items. Customers will often put these items back in the mailbox for their carrier to find with notes such as return to sender or "Refused," thinking their carrier will send them back to the organization and maybe they'll be taken off off the mailing list. Unless these items have a first-class stamp on them, and they almost never do due to the higher cost of postage, they don't go back to the original sender. The mail ends up in what we call UBBM bins, where clerks will open them and pull out the socks, pens, gloves, calendars, etc. for carriers to take. Inevitably, the customer will get another mailer from this organization, and the cycle will start over. So the customer really needs to contact the organization and has to be taken off the list if they want to stop receiving junk mail. Lastly, regarding your dinner with Harvey Stenger, you will be glad to know you had dinner with number 42 on City and State's 2023 Upstate Power 100. How about that? Harvey's only three spots behind the CEO of Wegmans, but he's basically top 20. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 42. <laughs> basically top 20 if you're out on your bike tonight as always to wear white
8: maybe you could tell me what you think is going on here and please speak as you might to a young child (laughs) or a golden retriever
3: Ciao Ch- Stop.